This podcast is brought to you by the Canada Foundation for Innovation. In the early 20th century, pioneers of quantum physics probed the existence of particles smaller than atoms. Their discoveries gave rise to inventions that permeate our world today. Inventions like the microchips that run our computers and cell phones. The digital revolution. Today, scientists are looking deeper into the properties of subatomic particles and developing new technologies based on the strange and wonderful laws of quantum physics. They say we're close to a new revolution, a quantum revolution. At the 2018 annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the Canada Foundation for Innovation hosted a roundtable on quantum research. We took the opportunity to interview four top Canadian researchers, and that's the basis of today's podcast. My name is Shohini Ghosh, and I'm a professor of physics and computer science at Wilfrid Laurier University. My name is Andrea Damascelli. I'm a professor of physics at UBC. My name is Kimberly Hall. I'm from Dalhousie University. I'm a physics professor there. I am Michel Pierrot-Ladrier. I am the deputy director of Institut Quantique Université de Sherbrooke. I'm also a professor at the physics department, and I'm an experimentalist in uh, quantum physics. One insight that's fundamental to understanding quantum science is that objects in the subatomic world, like protons, behave differently from objects in the macroscopic world, like tennis balls. Professor Kimberly Hall, Canada Research Chair in Ultrafast Science, explains. In our macroscopic world in which we live, we, we know that an object, for example, is in one specific place uh, at a time, right? We have, a, if you throw a ball against the wall, it has a trajectory associated with it. But if you get down to the level of um, very small, so we're talking about nanometer length scales, and the level of one particle, like one electron, then phenomena it doesn't progress in the same way that we experience in everyday life. And so really quantum research is all about trying to understand and control phenomena at the ultra-small spatial scale. In fact, two separate sets of laws apply, one to the macroscopic world and one to the subatomic world, explains Professor Shohini Koch. So it's almost like having two different games. You know, how you, you know, if you have a chess board, you can play by the rules of chess, or you have checkers, you have to play by the rules of checkers. You can't switch rules. So given the different rules of the game in quantum physics versus regular physics, we can do different things. Early quantum theorists like Max Planck Niels Bohr and Albert Einstein developed mathematical equations that explained some of the rules of the game in the subatomic world. That led to 20th century technological developments. Professor Kimberly Hall. If you think about the fact that the processor inside of a cell phone is made of a semiconductor and we can only describe the propagation of electrons through semiconductors with quantum physics, then you know, the, the impact of quantum physics on everyday life started back in the 60s when we replaced the <laughs> transistor tubes with semiconductor electronics. So it's not a new thing, really. What is new is that scientists are becoming more and more sophisticated in their ability to observe, investigate, and manipulate individual atoms and even individual subatomic particles. I use very short pulses of light to study dynamic phenomena, in particular quantum phenomena, in systems such as uh, semiconductor quantum dots, which are small pieces of, 
of a semiconductor in which you can trap an electron and manipulate it optically. If I take an ultrafast pulse, it's typically about 100 femtoseconds. If you were to compare 100 femtoseconds to one second, on a distance scale, it'd be like comparing a centimeter to the distance between the Earth and the Sun. So it's just a very high resolution um, mechanism to study phenomena in materials. Similarly, Professor Andrea Damascelli, director of UBC's Quantum Matter Institute, builds instruments that allow researchers to observe the movements of a single electron. His goal is to invent new materials that accomplish a desired purpose by harnessing the laws of motion that govern those individual electrons. Quantum uh, mechanics relies on a concept which we are not used to really uh, deal with, which is a concept of coherence. So if you think of a flow of electricity in a wire, in a copper wire, which is what we have in every household, uh, those electrons are moving because you have put a... Uh, you know, you put a potential on, uh, on, uh, on the wire, like a battery, that pushes electrons from one side to the other. Those electrons are moving at random, so incoherently, pretty much as, uh, as uh, cars coming into a roundabout and giving, giving rise to a traffic jam. And if the temperature is high enough, or if you flow too high a current, a copper wire, sure enough, you'll feel that the copper wire is getting hot and eventually will burn, and that's the consequence of a traffic jam of electrons. But however, if we could get those electrons to all move in synchronicity, all go the same way at the same time, and this is what coherence is about, uh, they would move as a single electron, but with the difference that they, they can carry a much larger current as a single electron. So this is coherent motion of electrons in a solid. So we now are building materials, and we already have some materials that allow coherent motion of electrons. Those are superconductors. And superconductivity is a 100-year-old science uh, started in the early 1900. Unfortunately, that science and that phenomenon is still a low temperature phenomenon, so cryogenic temperatures. That makes it complicated, complex, expensive, and not generally not portable, not mainstream uh, utilization of that kind of technology. So we are trying to now push these technologies to become resilient, resilient versus the outside environment, so that we can use them for, for all kind of uh, possible applications. While Professor Damascelli focuses on material science, other researchers are working on an endeavor that has almost acquired the status of the quest for the Holy Grail, the quantum computer. Professor Pierrot Ladrière explains. Fifteen years ago, if I would have to tell you that it would be possible to dream of a quantum computer, everybody would have laughed at me. The last 15 years, thanks to a, a continuous effort worldwide, uh, we have been able to bring this dream, this important dream for humanity, much closer to being a reality. If we do get the quantum computer, that's going to be like one of the wonders of the world. The quantum computer would use the properties of subatomic particles to manipulate those particles and perform computing tasks. Professor Pierrot Ladrière expands on this idea. One uh, leading contender for a quantum computer is called uh, uh, the electron spin in semiconductor compound. So, uh, so the electron spin is a, by nature a quantum property and uh, you utilize a, a very specific quantum property of the electron which is called the spin. Uh, you can view the spin as a, a spinning top, okay, which is quantum, and because it's, it's a charged particle spinning around, it reacts to magnetic field. 
So the way you manipulate the electron spin is the same way you uh, do uh, MRI, uh, magnetic resonance imaging. So that's a very common tool used in medicine for diagnostic. And the way you need to do this is you need to uh, manip you manipulate the spins with uh, local magnetic fields. And the micromagnet is a, is a very efficient way to uh, manipulate single electron spins. So I invented this technique when I was doing a postdoc, and now it's one of the techniques that is mostly used in, in our field to, uh, to control single electron spins. So it's a very important building blocks to uh, build a quantum computer based on spin in semiconductors. Professor Shohini Koch, who is also the vice president of the Canadian Association of Physicists, says that a quantum computer could solve problems that conventional computers have not been able to crack. One of the applications that is closest to becoming commercially viable is something called quantum key distribution, which is something we use to do cryptography. So whenever you want to send secret messages, we, what we do is we take the, the message, if I want to say hello, I don't say hello, I encrypt it using some kind of a secret key, so the only person who can decrypt is somebody who has that key. So quantum cryptography is a way to generate these keys. And what's amazing about this particular key distribution system is that it is the only known method that is completely unhackable. And the reason for that is in order for somebody to try to steal the key or intercept it or replace it with their own key or listen in, they would have to actually violate the laws of quantum physics. So, you, so this is not based on having some very strong mathematically complicated problem that they would have to solve, which is what current uh, uh, cryptography systems are based on, which is why people with uh, you know, supercomputing access, you know, they, they spend a lot of time trying to hack into people's computers, because all of that encryption is based on, on very hard mathematical processes. Quantum cryptography is based on the very laws of quantum physics itself. So it's almost like saying, well, if you want to break the system, you'd have to defy gravity. Gravity is a fundamental law. You can't defy it no matter how hard you try, no matter how good your computer is. It's the same thing with cryptography. You'd have to defy the laws of physics and break the laws of quantum physics. So that's a very exciting application. Another big area, I think, is going to be in what we call quantum simulations. So for example, one, exa one industry which is really, really important in the health care sector is you know, pharmaceuticals, for example, where you want to be able to model the behavior of drugs and how the different molecules interact with each other and so on. Turns out when we get to you know, uh, these drugs with large numbers of molecules, it's a very hard thing to simulate on a regular computer. However, if we had a quantum computer, we could simulate it much more efficiently. And you can imagine that that would be a really, really important application. And one of the examples is in um, pharmaceuticals, but there are many other such examples where the quantum computer could simulate a quantum kind of system involving large numbers of atoms and molecules much better than any existing classical computer. So how close are we to the quantum computing revolution? Turns out it's not an easy question to answer. I think it is an exciting time but it's, it's the kind of excitement we've felt before as well. So I'm sure back when the first transistor was built, the same sort of excitement was, you know, 
felt by the scientists back then. And yes, it was a start of building a huge ecosystem and all of the technology we know today. So are we at that same kind of moment now? I'd say it's a little early to make that kind of claim, but it is exciting because finally we have um, examples of small-scale quantum computers. So IBM, for example, has a working quantum computer. It's, it's kind of like having a toy computer, like the very earliest transistor uh, circuits ever built. Um, we're at that stage, so very, very early. Nobody could have predicted back when you know transistors first being developed where that technology would go. Nobody would have ever predicted an iPhone. So we're at that same stage where we have no idea where this technology is going to go. Uh, building a quantum computer is a very challenging thing. We need to, to play with the laws of uh, atom and physics. So we need to improve, for example, the basic elements. We need to make sure they are behaving even more quantumly than they're actually behaving at the moment. So we need to do lots of uh, fundamental research to understand how, how we can do that. So that's on the physical side. And like any computer, you need softwares. We have particular good examples of, of what the quantum computer could do, but we're just scratching the surface. Meanwhile, in the area of quantum materials, significant new inventions are well underway, says Professor Damascelli. I do believe we are at a crossroad, a very important point. I do believe we are there worldwide, but certainly in some of, some of the most advanced countries. And I do believe we are, you know, the time is right for, for that to, to be taking place, that particular revolution in Canada. We have built worldwide a very uh, profound understanding of quantum phenomena. We have technology, state-of-the-art technology we can use to explore this phenomena. Uh, we are at the level of... Uh, uh, the, you know, we have discovered new material, we're now perfecting these materials in, in devices. And I like to make an example. We, nowadays we are able to build materials atom by atom and layer by layer in vacuum. So we have extremely clean, extremely perfect material down to the atomic level. I'd like to mention a few examples. One which I find really fascinating is clean energy. So clean energy is based on utilization of materials. So for instance, in uh, fuel cells, and what we're doing at the Quantum Matter Institute is, is uh, working on the refinement of new quantum materials that could be used for this purpose. And so we have a research direction in our institute is quantum materials for clean energy for a better world. And I, I believe we're already making major uh, breakthrough in this direction, and we'll see more coming in the next few years. Other directions where we have already uh, devices uh, developed are that of conversion of heat from light, sunlight, into electricity. And we're doing that in carbon-based materials these days. And we have developed a technology which allows to generate an electron microscope, a portable, if you like, electron microscope, a small-scale electron microscope. Usually these objects are lar as large as a room, and now you have a portable one. And the interest of that is its utilization in many applications, for instance, in medical applications in developing countries. So again, broad impact that we could have. These are some of the key areas, and by, by no means they exhaust all the possible directions that we are working on. Despite the advances of the past century, the quantum world still holds many mysteries. Professor Shohini Kosh. Now we're getting to uh, ask new questions in our research, where we try to think about how certain aspects of the theory we haven't really explored. You know, some of the strangest parts of it, things like superposition and entanglement, which are very weird phenomena 
um, which don't really make sense to us in our everyday macroscopic world. Now we're trying to explore those pieces of the theory because we're at a point where we can build experiments and try to test this in the lab. As research into the subatomic world continues, Canada stands positioned as a leader in the field, the scientists agree. There's no doubt that Canada is a leader uh, internationally in quantum research. This is a, a result of the fact that governments very early on here um, decided and, and saw the potential in quantum technology for long-term applications to society. Canada has been investing in, uh, in this field for decades, I would say 30, 30 years, and we have programs which are nationwide programs, like the CIFAR program, the Canada Institute for Advanced Research, which has a program in, uh, in quantum materials. That program has been there for 30 years and really has connected uh, the researchers within Canada into a, a very strongly interactive team. And that is perhaps one of the strengths of Canada, of being a very collegial research environment, a very collegial community. We as Canadians, we should be very proud of, of the role we have played in, uh, in, in the quantum arena. We have world-leading researchers in this, this area. We are globally recognized as experts in the field. And now we see that the, the quantum community in Canada is getting together so that we can compete at the international level. And CFI is, is playing a very key role in, in this uh, uh, Canadian effort by making sure we have strategic investment in, in infrastructure, uh, better use of infrastructure, and so forth. Things are heating up now, and um, there's a lot of great research teams all over, around the world. And for example, China is investing huge amounts of resources into quantum information. They've launched a, a quantum information satellite that has already you know, demonstrated entanglement from space. Maybe there'll be a new quantum space race. So the challenge for Canada will be to keep up. Our thanks to professors Kimberly Hall, Michel Pierrot-Latriere, Shohini Koch, and Andrea Danachelli for sharing their insights on quantum research. Find more research stories like this one on innovation.ca slash stories and subscribe to the Canada Foundation for Innovation on your favorite podcast app.